we do extend that invitation. Um, as we begin in October, really want to provide a, a chance for folks to, to come into uh, a B3 group. They are, uh, they are special. And, and as a colleague in, in ministry says, they, they're also awkward, but um, we embrace the, the awkward uh, because what, what, what lies beneath it is, is very transformative. So we hope you'll click the interest form so we can get you connected with a, with a group. This morning, we continue in our uh, a sermon series, our Not Ungrateful sermon series, looking at some of the barriers that we, we must confront that keep us from being uh, grateful. And so we, uh, we do that today uh, as well. Gratitude, uh, says the great spiritual writer Henry Nouwen, is the most fruitful way to remind ourselves that we are not an accident but a divine choice. He says that means saying thank you to God for having chosen us and saying thank you to others who remind us of our chosenness. Because, you know, each and every day we, we uh, face person after person, choice after choice, moment after moment, circumstance after circumstance, where we have the chance to practice gratitude uh, and by God's grace to become more grateful people, glorifying God, delighting in our identity as God's beloved and delighting in God's goodness toward us. But that means that we also have a choice to not be grateful, to not practice gratitude. Because where there is a reason for gratitude, you can bet that we can find any number of reasons to complain or to grumble. Complaining. That's the barrier to gratitude we confront today in order to become more grateful people. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, grow us, transform us, that we might bear a beautiful fruit for you and your kingdom. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 14. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the Sin Desert, which is located between Elam and Sinai. They set out on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The whole Israelite community complained against Moses and Aaron in the desert. The Israelites said to them, Oh, how we wish that the Lord had just put us to death while we were sit, while we, we were sit still in the land of the Egypt. There we could sit by the pots cooking meat and eat our fill of bread. Instead, you brought us to, out into the desert to starve this whole assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to make bread rain down from the sky for you. The people will go out each day and gather just enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them to see whether or not they follow my instruction. On the sixth day, when they measure out what they have collected, it will be twice as much as they collected on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, This evening you will know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the Lord's glorious presence, because your complaints against the Lord have been heard. Who are we? Why blame us? Moses continued, the Lord will give you meat and eat, meat to eat in the evening, and you will have your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord heard your complaints you made against him. Who are we? 
Your complaints aren't against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole Israelite community, Come near to the Lord, because he's heard your complaints. As Aaron spoke to the whole Israelite community, they turned to look toward the desert. And just then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses, I've heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will have your fill of bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, a flock of quail flew down and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all, all around the ground, around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the desert surface were thin flakes, as thin as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? They didn't know what it was. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it, it didn't take long for Israel to start complaining and grumbling. I mean, literally, it's just one chapter, right? Uh, in the not-too-distant past, Israel had experienced a, a series of, of dramatic and extraordinary miracles and their liberation from slavery and their rescue from the hands of the Egyptians by, by God. They're God's prized people, God's children, God's chosen. I mean, surely, right, their hearts and minds would just be consumed and full with gratitude for the goodness and the faithfulness of God. The chapter before, chapter 15, records the victory song that the Israelites sang at the edge of the sea, led by Moses and Miriam. This is my God who I will praise. I will sing to the Lord for an overflowing victory. And then just one chapter later, as our scripture passage this morning tells us, they, they soon find themselves stuck in the wilderness, and they start complaining. And it's not just one person. It's the entire assembly complaining against Moses and Aaron. Oh, how we wish that God had just, had just put us to death while we were still in the land of Egypt. You know, when we were there, at least like we could still uh, cook meat in, in pots and eat our fill of bread. Now you've just brought us out here to the middle of, of nowhere to starve us to death. Where there is reason for gratitude, there are always reasons to complain. The Israelites choose complaining here because they're, they're hungry. Things are not going well. Like a, a contagious pathogen, uh, complaining and negativity spread throughout the camp. But that's how it works, isn't it? One person starts complaining about the traveling conditions, the heat of the desert, the, the hunger he feels. Another person catches it, and then she complains to her tent neighbor about the limited food options. And then pretty soon there's a full-blown complaining pandemic, and it's just sucking the life and, and well-being out of God's people. And they're clearly remembering inaccurately exactly what Egypt was like. Remembering it better than it really was. Complaining blinds us like that. They also don't see the blessing and the goodness and the benefits. They are receiving the very presence of God in their midst. Even in the middle of the difficult situation, complaining blinds us like that too. The God of the universe just rescued them and and has already proven that God is not going to abandon them, that God is going to journey with them. Uh, pillar of cloud during the day, pillar of fire by night. God has already uh, been faithful to them in the wilderness by turning bitter water into drinkable water. Even more problematic, 
in all of that is the com- that the complaining reflects a, a, a breaking of the covenantal bond of trust, trust and, and faithfulness with their God. Did they know how bad complaining was for their physical, uh, mental, emotional, spiritual, communal well-being? Do we? Complaining. Now, I'm not talking about constructive criticism or truth-telling. When an unwelcome truth about poor leadership or irresponsibility or injustice is spoken, it can be very easy for those in power to dismiss it as simply complaining. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about chronic complaining, complaining as a way of life. Research shows that it actually rewires our brains for negativity. The brain is designed to function very efficiently, meaning when we repeat a thought, be it positive or negative, over and over again, it creates a neurological pathway to expedite the passage of information. So the next time we have a similar thought, it is more easily transmitted. So the more we complain, the more and more our brain creates complaining pathways, making it easier for us to complain. More of those pathways means less pathways for, for gratitude, for thankfulness, for worship. On top of that, Complaining releases cortisol, which is the fight-or-flight stress hormone, and also shrinks the hippocampus in the brain, which is the problem-solving part of the brain. And even listening to other people or being around other people who complain can have the same negative impact on the brain as it does when you're the one doing it. Maybe some of you all watching this morning have suffered from secondhand complaining. Spiritually speaking, if we are chronically complaining, it's not just creating a a neurological pathway of negativity in our brains. It's creating that pathway in our relationship with God. Even when life is going well, we grumble and complain about the one thorn amidst all of the roses. All of a sudden, we miss the goodness and the grace of God in our midst. We miss the gifts we already have. We miss the, the wonder and the joy that life brings, we miss the enoughness of God. We miss the enoughness of God. We miss worshiping and praising God because the language of praise is instead a language of complaint or grumbling. And we can start suffering from a a kind of spiritual amnesia, forgetting God's faithfulness and love and mercy and deliverance in our lives. It's like this this very particular lens forms that begins to dull our gratitude and narrow our gaze onto the negative, to the exclusion of the good and the beautiful. And the more and more we complain, the more and more we begin to notice, right, what isn't working, what isn't perfect, what we don't have, what we didn't do, what that other person did do. Nothing's ever good enough. There's always a problem. And then that in turn leads to more grumbling. It's like this cycle, like a machine. C.S. Lewis has a very powerful and also haunting, uh, disturbing image of complaining in his book, The Great Divorce. In one section, several people have taken the bus from the gray town to the outer edge of heaven, where we have the chance to kind of overhear their reflections on life. Lewis captures some of their disappointment and sense of entitlement, even as they're offered the chance to, to leave that misery behind. 
so the distinction between complaining as an occasional uh, frustrated response and complaining as a way of life becomes clear. There's a ghost of a, of a woman who is very negative and has picked up that habit of, of relentless complaining. She's not, she doesn't seem bad, just miserable. Another character called the teacher responds. The question is whether she is a grumbler or only a grumble. If there is a real woman, even the least traced of one, still there inside the grumbling, it can be brought to life again. But how can there be a grumble without a grumbler, someone asks. The whole difficulty of understanding hell is that the thing to be understood is so nearly nothing. But you'll have had experiences. It begins with a grumbling mood and, and, you're st- and yourself still distinct from it, perhaps criticizing it. And yourself, in a dark hour, may will that mood. Embrace it. You can repent and come out of it again, but there may come a day when you can do that no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. Haunting, right, to think that that complaining and grumbling can become such a way of life until all that's left of someone is the grumble, Very different from becoming a thank you. I was reminded of that this week when I uh, spoke to a a clergy colleague, friend, mentor. I used to live in in North Carolina and now lives uh, in Florida. He was diagnosed with terminal cancer in 2013. And best case scenario gave uh, gave him five five years of life expectancy. And so what he did is he... Uh, he filled a jar full of marbles, one marble for every week of that five years, and each week he would take a marble out of the jar, put it in his pocket, walk around with it, hold it in his hand to remind him to embrace life, to be thankful for every breath he breathes, every moment that, that he has. In 2018, he ran out of marbles, and so since then, he's been putting marbles back into the jar with the same uh, outlook, mindset, and posture of, of gratitude and, and thankfulness. Not complaining, being thankful, a living, breathing thank you. When, when Israel complains against God and Moses in the wilderness, when we complain, it expresses dissatisfaction. Complaining happens in the, in the midst or in the wake of a negative situation. Notice all the complaining, right, right now going on. But the need to complain must be determined by other factors other than simply what's happening to us. I mean, case in point, a friend I just, and mentor I just mentioned, like I know, I know people who have experienced way more hardship and difficulty in their lives that complain way less than I do. So ultimately, maybe complaining is about a desire to be known and acknowledged and a need to control. So Israel forgets that God notices suffering and is with them in suffering, and so they complain in order to be heard. Uh, Israel forgets that God is in control, and so they complain to try to feel like they have some measure of control over the situation. God's response to the complaint, God doesn't even turn a blind eye or a deaf ear. God's response is continued faithfulness. Providing bread from heaven for them to eat, manna, as it was called. 
It was physical sustenance, but I, but I wonder also if it was another gift, a gift that might help complainers like us. The Israelites called it manna because they didn't know what it was. Manna literally means, what is it? And that's what they asked themselves. What is it? I, I couldn't help but wonder, as I was reading the passage this week, what would have happened if they had asked that same question much earlier, before the complaining even started? In other words, what if they had been curious instead of complaining? What if they had asked themselves, what is it? What is it about this wilderness that makes me want to complain? Why do we feel the need to complain? What do we hope will happen? Does this complaining reflect a trust in God and appreciation for what we do have? Where is God in our midst? What is it? What, what is it that God has done in the past that reminds us that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is in control, that God will take care of us again? What if the Pharisees, who complained constantly about Jesus, eating with tax collectors and sinners, instead were curious and asked, what is it? What is it about this? Why does Jesus do this? What might we learn? Why are we reacting this way? How might we grow? What if curiosity is kind of like our manna in the face of complaining? What if we confronted complaining with curiosity? A holy curiosity. What if we asked, what is it? What, what is this desire to complain a, a, about? Where does it come from? Will it help? Where is God in this? What might God be up to? How has God been faithful before? What, what if we asked curious questions of ourselves and of God instead of launching immediately into complaining? Because holy curiosity leads to wonder. And wonder leads to worship and gratitude. One of the things that our family does often when we walk together as a family in order to keep up with wandering boys is to make a sandwich, as we say. Okay, uh, okay, G, okay, E, B, be the peanut butter in the sandwich. Mom and I are the bread. That way they're, that way they're in the middle of us walking. Perhaps holy curiosity might instead lead us to package our complaints like a sandwich and take it before God. What I mean is, what if we come honestly before God and begin by giving thanks for who God is, reminding ourselves of God's character, all the ways that God has been faithful and good, and then we name the frustration. Name what is hard, name what is as it shouldn't be. And then we close with holy curiosity, asking God to help us be open to what God might actually be up to, what God might do, what we might learn, how we might grow through whatever it is that we want to complain about. Maybe then, friends, the scales will fall from our eyes and we will be able to behold more fully God's goodness, God's provision, God's grace. We'll be able to see God's small gifts in our lives as grumbling gives way to gratitude. And maybe, just maybe, we might not become a grumble, but become a living, breathing, thank you instead.
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.